Welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm the president and professor of Old Testament here, and I'm joined by my fellow colleague in Old Testament, Dr. Peter Lee, also our dean of students here at RTSDC, our systematic theologian, Dr. Gray Sutanto, and a special guest today, Dr. Scott Swain, who is in Washington to teach a class during our reading week. You're going through sacraments and ecclesiology. Isn't that right, Scott Swain? That's right. Thanks for having me here. I'm really uh, so impressed with your podcast studio. I can't believe the level of technology that you guys are beneficiaries up at the D.C. campus. It's yes. really quite amazing. I can't wait to see when it goes through video. Scott is uh, Scott's commenting on what some of you all may have heard, but there's been a noticeable uptick in the quality of these recordings over the last couple of weeks, and that's because of the you know most favored status that RTSDC enjoys here at Reformed Theological Seminary that we get we get all the good stuff, and then we pass off our used material down to RTS Orlando. Isn't that that's right? Isn't it? That's right. That's, that's a fair, right. Fair assessment. The other question I have was whether. Gray wears a tank top every day to work, or is that just when you're recording podcasts? Only when Scott Swain is in town. That's right. That's right. Needed to make a good impression. Swain's out, guns out, is what Grace Tutano says regularly. That's exactly right. I own it. That's a good one. I like that. So, so Scott Swain, you're here to talk about ecclesiology, and you yourself have had a bit of a journey over the course of your adult life an ecclesiological journey of sorts. Um, You were raised and studied in a Baptist context. And while teaching in a Baptist context, you kind of uh, drifted toward a more Presbyterian view of the church and sacraments. And now that we've got you here and you've got ecclesiology on the mind, we thought, let's sit down and walk with you through that. I know we've talked about it privately before, but I'd love to hear your account of what what was it that changed kind of where were you uh what drew your attention in other directions and uh what was your thought process as you were reconsidering ecclesiology yeah um so i think there was probably three kind of major factors in play one was towards the end of my seminary i had been introduced to Gerhardus Voss, Meredith Klein. I was very interested in hermeneutics. And so I had start started learning about a redemptive historical hermeneutic. And um, eventually when we came to start thinking about sacraments, for reasons I'll mention in a moment, you know, I started thinking through that topic, reading the Bible the way I read it on every other topic. Mm-hmm. And, and that was um, very influential. Uh, a second kind of influence for us was uh, my wife, Lee, and I had started having kids mm. and we're thinking through what does it mean to raise children in a Christian home? And uh, we'd been given some uh, good advice, some good books, and we were trying to implement some of that. And I think that unwittingly we had kind of come to what we wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have had the label at that point, but we'd come to a place where we were really raising our kids in a more covenantal way mm-hmm. um, and teaching them to 
engage uh, Christ and his promises and um, even addressing issues of discipline in, in that kind of context. And so I, I think we were kind of unwittingly um, changing our our practice in a way that was more fitting for an infant baptism context. And then when I actually did start really thinking through the issue of, of baptism again, the, the last sort of piece was coming to understand the meaning of the sacraments. So, um, you know, for a Baptist like me, infant baptism and a lot of my friends, when you know we became Pado Baptists, it, it sounds preposterous because mm-hmm. the meaning of baptism is that your public profession of faith. Right. And so, um, are you telling me that these babies are now making their public profession of faith? And um, of course, while that is a part of baptism in the Reformed tradition, it's not the primary emphasis of baptism. The primary emphasis is that they're signs and seals of God's covenant promises, right? That's uh, how the rainbow functions in the Noahic covenant. Right. It's a sign of God's promise. And so coming to see that, that was kind of the, the third element that over the course of a couple of years, my wife and I wrestled with um, and came to the conclusion, yeah, we think this is what we believe and the rest, as they say, is history. That's really interesting that you all sort of intuited it in your practice mm-hmm. as you were working through it, sort of you know, reasonably, you know, and consciously working yeah. through the theology of it. You were kind of intuiting this a bit in the way that you were raising your children. Yeah. I want to come back to that in, in a little bit because I think that's that's really interesting. The idea is it's a profound part that I think a lot of Presbyterians and other Pado Baptists don't maybe maybe realizes the importance of like what this means for how you catechize your children and discipline them and raise yeah. them, how you talk about salvation with them. Right. That's a really interesting um, area where I think there's a lot, lot to delve into. What, what was some of, as, as you were kind of coming to this decision, were you looking at, were issues like church government coming into play at all or connectionalism of the church, that kind of thing? I mean, you, you're now a Presbyterian yeah. So, I mean, I think that I was, I was a Reformed Baptist by the time I kind of finished seminary, and certainly by the time I was teaching. And but I was, I always described myself as a bad Reformed Baptist in some ways because I, I did think that a kind of austere congregationalism mm-hmm. probably was falling short um, in some ways. But to be fair, in the Baptist tradition, there are more connectional options in terms of thinking how um, associations function and even in ordination processes and things right. like that. Um, so I probably was a, a little less um, consistent a congregationalist, although the Reformed tradition has some um, absolutely nearly congregationalist uh, examples around um, too. So, yeah, we had to think through all of these things. Um and it was, that's why I say it was a, it, it, it kind of took a while. And Well, you talked about a change in your hermeneutics as well. I do find that when you are changing your views on 
baptism. This also comes with a sort of hermeneutical shift. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that connection between hermeneutics and your view of paedo-baptism? What is that shift? Why did that also entail a shift in hermeneutical method? Yeah. Well, I think that hermeneutical shift came first for me. And so it was that, I mean, I'll say in the most elementary way, it was that treating the Bible as one book, mm. right? That has a beginning in Genesis and an end in Revelation. And, um, you know, what I got from Voss and Klein and others is a, that strong redemptive historical emphasis. And so, you know, you think of a doctrine like justification. How do we treat doctrine of justification? Well, we treat it like Paul does when he wants to justify that he, his doctrine, though apostolic, though following from the, the insight he's received from encountering the risen Lord, he goes back to Abraham. Why Abraham? Because he is the first father in the faith. Mm -hmm. and, and the argument is, however justification worked for Abraham, right. that's got to be the paradigm. That's really and good. he can even say, however, the, whatever the meaning of the Mosaic Covenant is that comes later, it can't be to offer a competing approach to justification because we go to the beginning and Abraham is the beginning. So, so what happened to me is when we start having to think through sacraments again, I... I, I had this in place, and so I, I literally start Noahic Covenant, thinking about the rainbow, Abrahamic Covenant. And, and for me, the, you know, looking, uh, how to say this kind of the right way, but th there's, a, there's kind of a, a way of talking about circumcision in some Baptist circles where, you know, this is an ethnic identity marker. And then you go to Genesis 17, and yes, the command is Abraham, be circumcised, circumcise your son. And then any foreigner who comes in your house and you're like, oh, that's interesting, right? Built in at the beginning. And so hmm. you get this category of you, your children, the foreigner. Um, and again, just keep tracking out in, in different covenants and so forth. And then that you you read Acts 2, for example, differently if you've got the Abrahamic covenant in view. And so that was it for me. It, it, it was so to me that that hermeneutic was the most natural way of reading scripture. And so I was raised a dispensationalist and some of you know, some listeners know what that is. And I always felt like I didn't understand dispensationalism and that there's some kind of secret knowledge that one day hopefully i would get in seminary it, it would all and for me what happened yeah. when i finally got exposed to redemptive historical hermeneutics i was like oh this just makes total sense yeah. this mm -hmm. is a very plain reading of scripture and so for me it was a matter of really thinking about baptism through the lens it was like oh yeah oh oh and and, and now pretty disruptive to my life yeah. of course but yeah, it wasn't it disruptive a, a as change. a reading of scripture it actually right. yeah things fell into place yeah so there's there's a tight connection between covenant theology and baptism. So in my mind, it's always made more sense if you were a dispensationalist and you were Baptist, or if you were not into covenant theology and you were a Baptist. What would you say to listeners who are calling themselves Reformed Baptists, they believe in the London Baptist Confession, they love covenant theology, but they remain a Baptist? What would you say is the issue there, if that can make sense? Yeah, well, I mean, I would say I, I, I like that. Um, and I like it too, I, I for think the record. it's, a, it's a, a much 
better and more wholesome approach to scripture, I think, than dispensationalism. Um, and there's still some, you know, serious divergences between us. A lot of it has to do with how you treat certain new covenant texts. Um, Jeremiah 31 being the probably the biggie. Mm-hmm. But then the other big issue, I think, between more reformed covenantal Baptist and um, paedo Baptist like ourselves is how you understand New Testament eschatology mm. um, and the the old already not yet. The kingdom has already been inaugurated. It has not yet been consummated. And I think Baptist tends toward a more realized, I think, New Testament eschatology with respect to the church. Mm. I think paedo Baptists have the perfect balance. Mm. Well and said. you are right. <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted that all of you agree with that. Just... I'm, well, I'm kind of surprised that Peter agrees with us. Well, I, all I have to say is preach, Scott Swain. Preach. You know that you're. Uh, you know you mentioned laws and the historical redemptive uh, uh, approach as being so influential. Maybe a maybe a subject matter in the future is how you ended up a systematics guy with such a deep appreciation for. Uh, biblical theology, but um, it, it, something else you mentioned uh, is, uh, you know, that there are Presbyterian churches that are kind of functionally quasi-congregational at times, and 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 related to that is how uh, we view our children. There are times when, you know, in spite of the fact that uh, Presbyterians will baptize infants, the way that we see our children actually is not that different than what you see uh, in, in a Baptist setting, I guess at, at a practical uh, point, given that we baptize infants, that we see them as members of the covenant, what impact do you think that should make on how we raise children in that covenantal structure, as opposed to a Baptist setting that uh, doesn't see them as members of the covenant? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give a kind of stark example. And so... But let me preface it by saying that not all Reformed Baptists, this would not apply to them. Right. Okay, but I'm just saying the kind of Baptist environment I was raised in, there was sometimes a, a suggestion, and, and this isn't my way of inference. I've just heard people say these kinds of things, that um, you can't really have a meaningful spiritual conversation with somebody before they've reached a certain age. Maybe they're not even really a sinner before they've reached a certain age. Mm-hmm. So stark contrast with that would be, well, we believe that we're all born in sin. In sin, my mother conceived me, David says in Psalm 51. And our belief is that God's uh, grace reaches us at that point of our need as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and David says, I've been cast on you from my mother's breast. And this is, you know, for Calvin... This is actually the reason that you don't have to have emergency baptisms for Calvin. And the reason you used to have emergency baptisms in, in the Middle Ages, right, is that I mean, if you if didn't baptize newborn gonna... infants, their soul was in danger. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason Calvin doesn't have to sweat about emergency baptisms anymore is because actually the thing that gets to them before the baptism has to get to them is that a promise has already been made to them. Mm. Right. And that's the ground for their baptism. And so... Raising a child 
who is heir of covenant promises, for us, it profoundly changed the way we thought of our kids. Um, and again, on the one hand, teaching them to claim promises Amen. as as no. early as they claim anything. Um, but it also, I, I think in the hard times of parenting, it changes the way you, you pray. You, know, you take your lament about something in your child's life to God, reminding God that he's made promises to them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, they belong to him and, and we're actually stewards of his care for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that's, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. It is. Now, I will say this. I, I do. I'd love to talk to you about the, how did I become a systematic theologian? Because I did early on have a, have a, a disciplinary crisis about this because I loved biblical theology so much, but um, that's, Another day. Well, that's the reason why we have to have to bring you back. You're just yeah. fil- filled with all sorts of uh, theological wisdom. Yeah, there's there's the, something. The, <laughs> there's there's the flip side of that too, which is you you treat your child differently, and oftentimes I remember having a conversation with a prominent and and very strongly opinionated Baptist on this topic, and we were debating this. And at the end, I said, "But so when your child was two and three, did you pray?" our father with them or not, you know? And, and of mm-hmm. course he said, no, I shouldn't say of course, but I mean, he's like, oh yeah, totally. I definitely did. You know? Mm-hmm. And I thought, so this, what, what we're doing is we're recognizing again, I think kind of like you said with you and Lee, yeah. you're intuiting something that maybe your theology hasn't circled back around yeah. to recognizing. Um, but there's a flip side to that too, which is the recognition that we're relegating again, the loss of a child, a child turning away from the faith in their adulthood, we're relegating that appropriately to a tragic, you know, terrible breaking of the system, hmm. like it was for Israel. When, yeah. when Israel went apostate, it was a terrible, tragic thing. It's not something that we should expect to happen right. because... It's in spite of the extraordinary means of grace. Right, hmm. right. And this, I mean, Hebrews 6 is wrestling with this too. Right. And I think, I think... Pedo-Baptist conception of the church can absorb Hebrews 6 easily. For others, you have to create new problematic doctrines right. about losing your faith and losing your salvation and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But this idea that a, a, a covenant child, yeah, is, is, is bound in that new covenant community. And it's a tragic thing when apostasy happens, when unbelief mm-hmm. happens out of that. It shouldn't be like expected because that's just what reasonable people do or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that Baptists know pedo baptism precognitively. Some. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Okay. Now we're gonna move on to affect theory, Scott. No, all right. <laughs> but it's true though, I think they, they do feel the tragedy of it, even when they espouse baptistic theology, they feel the tragedy of it when their child grows up to leave the faith. Right. Yeah. Right. There isn't an expectation that they should, you know. And it's okay to sing with your little baby child, Jesus loves me. Yeah. And there's still that <laughs> it's okay feeling to do that. it's still that feeling that they've opted out of something they've born into rather right. than exactly. never choosing to be in it in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. And if we take the prophet seriously, that, that that's the reality of baptism for the Pado Baptist that when you're baptizing a cute little baby, it's not just a cute little service where you wear right white robes and everyone takes pictures. But you are baptizing them into the promises of the covenant, but that also means the increased um, the the increased discipline and judgment of being a child of the covenant. Yeah. Right. You know that you've 
if they were to reject Christ, it would be against all outward and ordinary means, as you said, which is much more tragic for mm-hmm. the child as well. Yeah. And Klein writes, I think, you know, rightly that baptism is this water ordeal that is baptizing a child into their death and into their judgment. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're emerging on the other side alive in Christ. And yet that element of judgment is, is right there present. Yeah. Of course, all are welcome here at Reformed Theological Seminary, and you don't need to hold the paedo-baptistic view to take classes here or even actually to succeed in classes here. Some of my best students coming through RTS uh, don't agree with me on this point. And so we welcome you here to study with us and be a part of this conversation. Scott Swain, it's been great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for taking some time on your lunch break to chat with us about this important topic and sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. It's been great to talk with you all this week. I look forward to being back together next week. Until then, take care. You got a producer. (laughs) Looking at this, right? I see these boxes about to fall on them. I was thinking, like, when Hank Vandenbelt comes here next week, he's going to be like, What am I doing in this box room? (laughs) Take care, Scott.